Live. Thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, today we are coming to you live here, September 8th, 7 a.m. And Hari, you're at 6 a.m. Uh, thanks, thanks everyone for joining. We're get, today we're going to talk about a couple of different topics. Uh, again, the way that we like to structure this podcast is talk about some relevant topic up front, some relevant news. And then on the second part, we talk about a particular company. And today we're going to talk about Bath, Bath & Beyond. All right. So the first topic is kind of relevant news. What we've been hearing a lot is the looming energy crisis. Maybe looming is a bad word because it's already here. Yeah. Uh, so we should probably talk about that and how that relates to your investments, how that actually impacts you as an investor in the stock market at the moment. And, um, you know, not to mention all the you know humanitarian crisis that might that might occur and maybe is occurring already. Uh, so let's start there. So are you posted on the on the um, on our on our Slack channel? Or I guess I posted a few a few days ago about the energy crisis, and you posted subsequently about the the currency collapse and things like that. But let's 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 start us off with um, what's what's going on. Give us the lay of the land. Well, so it, it really started with um, the co the COVID pandemic, and um, you know, as most countries went into a recession during the pandemic, um, you know they've. And then they started opening back up again. You know, they sacrificed a lot of their GDP to do lockdowns to, you know, shut down their economy. You know, and so, um, <clears throat> so that that has some hangover effect that's coming into it. But you know, the thing that is kind of um, you know killing the economies right now is uh, the ongoing war with Russia and uh, Ukraine has uh, uh, essentially led to a enormous um <clears throat> you know spat between the eu and russia uh and russia has essentially cut off gas uh who's you know russia is is the main supplier of uh natural gas and other things to um you know to the eu they've cut off their main pipeline called nord stream one uh and as a result of that the eu is now having to scramble to you know use other forms of energy uh to cover their uh, power loss in their grid. Um, but the biggest thing that's uh, occurring is that most uh, homes in the EU are using for heat, use um, natural gas to heat their house houses. Uh, and so people are now having to scramble and fall back to, um, you know, because prices have gone up by 10, 10x. Um, people are now having to, to uh, you know, pull in gas and other things um, at much higher prices. Or um, they're going to either go without or they're going to go um, use alternative fuel sources like wood uh, to heat homes and things like that. Yeah, I'm just flashing a map here. Um, you know, I learned about the Russian gas pipeline and the whole complicated geopolitics behind it. I mean, energy market and energy policy is so interconnected with geopolitics. They're totally inseparable. I, I first learned about the geopolitics and how it relates to energy in college and how it relates to China and the whole thing. But this map, I think, is illuminating. It's, I mean, just take a look at this, this map, some of these maps. If you look, I mean, basically, the Europe 
the it's like feeding tube. I mean, look at look at some of these lines that are that are going into these countries, and not every country is 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 sort of created equal when it comes to the energy mix. Germany, for example, is more dependent on Russian gas than France, for example. France has a lot of nuclear power plants all around the country. Germany is more dependent. I think Italy also. But I think this this image tells you a lot about what's happening in Europe right now. If Russia were to shut off the, these gas pipelines and and oil oil pipelines, um, it it um, it does pretty it does it, you know it does quite a bit of damage as we were seeing. It, it cripples the economy. Um, so I just wanted to flash it as a as a uh, as a um, as a way to visualize this. The the other thing that I would say is. 45% of the gas is is coming from Russia at this point. Um, and 15% of all gas, it was coming through Nord Stream 1, uh, which was shut was the one that's actually shut down. So, um, you know, that's just gives you an indication, you know, they are getting gas from other Russian pipelines, but it, they're much smaller. Um, but the, uh, but other countries are going to have to cut, you know, kind of step in the US and, and other things also. Mm. Um, we actually got a comment um, from uh, on the the live stream. It's also worth knowing noting that the mainland Europe has has one connected energy grid, um, much like the U.S. Uh, outside of Texas has has essentially a connected grid as well. So, <clears throat> so yeah, if if one country is using gas to to create electricity, then they can't, um, you know, they'll have to draw gas from other places to go uh, generate electricity. So. You know, it's it's a combination of multiple factors at the same time happening would cause um, both electricity shortages, heating shortages. Um, you know, it's a huge mess. You know, um, uh, both a, both as you were saying, economically and a humanitarian crisis that we're going to run into here very sh shortly. Mm. Uh, yeah, and as I understand, some of the other commodities that are used to create fuel or uh, some of the other commodities that is create, uh, used to create like heat homes and things like that, coal, wood, those commodities prices are also surging at the moment. So alternative fuel source is also is becoming expensive. So, I mean, we'll see. One of the, one of the interesting charts that I saw was, uh, let me pull this up, was uh, the storage capacity uh, the the uh, the capacity of Germany to store energy and how much of that is filled at the moment. Uh, let me let me pull this up. Germany. Here we go. Yeah, I, f I find this chart interesting. Can you see this chart? Yep. So. Here we go. Um, yeah, maybe this 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 is a good one. So this this chart shows how much. So it ebbs and flows. So during the summer months, during the summer months, so starting in let's say April, April to July, April uh, April May June July period, they start building up storage capacity, or not storage capacity. They start they start to fill up their storage with uh, excess gas in preparation for the winter. Um, 
And right now, as I understand, this, this chart is not accurate. I think we're at about 80% or somewhere around 80%. And then the, and then the North train got shut down. So um, they say that 80% is enough to get through the winter. But the problem is it doesn't, it doesn't solve the scarcity problem. And therefore, this, the, the price hikes uh, that, that we're seeing. So just wanted to show that again as, as, as a way to illustrate the point. Yeah, and, and let's also not forget that natural gas, as one of our um, commenters po pointed out on the stream, um, thanks for the comment, Jim Varney, uh, natural gas is also just part of the, uh, you know, it's an input for many other chemicals and other things too. So, um, you know, you're taking away both an energy supply and a, you know, an industrial good uh, input that is needed for a lot of different, you know, uh, producing chemicals, producing plastics, producing lots of different uh, other things that, you know, is just part of the everyday uh, uh, economy. So, I mean, it's impacting them in multiple different ways, not not just energy alone. Mm -hmm. Let, let's let's um, shift gears here and talk about the energy, the the currency, uh, the currency uh, collapse. Uh, and other and other other currency relative to the U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar has been gaining tremendous strength uh, relative to other currency. Um, talk talk us through what that means for for us. All right. So there's a, a few things I think that are critical for to understand why is that shift happening. So um, as the U.S. interest rate has gone up because we've raised interest rates, people have looked for safety um, during this, you know, economically, you know, concerning time. So they've shifted foreign currencies into U.S. dollars and bought bonds um, so that they can get, you know, the two and a half, three percent, you know, yield that they they wouldn't have gotten six months ago when the, the interest rates were much lower. So what that does is it drives a lot of demand for U.S. dollars, which relative and because they're fleeing other currencies, it raises the, the U.S. dollar um, strength relative to other countries. So if you're living in the U.S. or you're living in the EU and you're not transferring currencies, it doesn't really matter too much to you. You aren't going to notice that impact um, directly. What you are going to notice is um, the purchasing power for buying things outside um, may actually decrease. Um, uh, or will actually decrease. And this is hitting company ba balance sheets and earning statements pretty hard because if you're in the S&P 500, um, about a third of the companies or a third of the revenue generated is foreign. So when what looks like a, um, you know, when you, when you actually look at the constant currency basis, um, you see a, actually a, a decline in revenue, but it's actually due to a weakening of the U.S., you know, uh, or of other currencies relative to the U.S. dollar. So on a co constant currency basis, it's m much more difficult to determine, um, you know, is revenue growing? Is revenue staying the same? You know, because you're now also having to deal with currency, uh, you know, changes uh, as well. This happened in 2017, 2018 as well. And then the, the weakened, you know, U.S. dollar weakened against the foreign currency exchange. Um, since then, and then it's now started to pick back up. And I think now the, like the British pound is at the lowest rate that it's been since 1985 relative to the U S dollar. 
Yeah, let me show some some charts around this. So take a look at this. This is um, this is euro dollar exchange rate. So euro at the top, USD at the bottom. You see that it's sort of you know since 2010, it's been I mean, the the collapse from here to here. It's pretty steep, sort of similar to. I'm not sure what happened here, but it's interesting. Um, but yeah, this is what we're talking about. Another one is Japanese yen. This is this is sort of flipped, uh, but it, it conveys similar concept. It's 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 just shooting through the roof right now. Um, so if if your currency all of a sudden in a matter of two years, uh, you know, went up by fifty percent, then you know your wealth relative to the U.S. dollar has, has shrunk by fifty percent. Your purchasing power has shrunk by fifty percent. Um, so that that so that's like you said that translates into um, just like less buying power uh, in the global market. If you want to buy, I don't know, commodities from import oil from other you know, oil producers, that just means that your yen is not going to you know it's not going to uh, buy you as much. Um, so. And did you mention, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but 30% of S&P, let me close this window, about 30% of, of S&P 500 companies earn in foreign currency. And so what that means is that the 30% they earn is just, it's just um, you know, in relative terms to the US dollar, it's just going to be less uh, because of the currency collapse that we're seeing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then also, this is this is interesting point. If the currency gets too strong, your imports aren't competitive in the market, right? And that was, that was one of the reasons why, like for example, Germany and some other like Nordic countries benefit a tremendous for, tremendously from being in being part of the eurozone is is because their currency was because they adopted euro, they now were treated as part of the bloc, and they can. They can now sell stuff at a lower, uh, at, with a weaker currency, which was which was euro versus their own. That means that their their product, their goods and services that they sell across the world is now more competitive because they're selling at a with a weaker currency. And so what what happens with the strong dollar is that whatever I don't know GM or whoever sells stuff outside of the U.S. now it's just going to be less less competitive because. Uh, you know, dollar dollar is a stronger currency, and therefore, you know, it'll, it'll demand higher price. So, in the global market, it's just not as competitive. Yep. So, that's another thing to watch out for. Um, uh, any anything else that you want to touch on with with this? Well, I mean, I, I think what we are witnessing is, you know, is a setting up a, the stage for a fairly large recession, right? Global recession, because um, you know when you have Inflationary pressure, you know, you have, uh, like they were talking about in the UK, um, restaurants, you know, and bars and pubs that have been operating for, you know, decades are looking to, are, you know, either shut down or uh, operate only two or three days a week because the cost of everything has basically gone up. Um, like for one, you know, side fact here, like, um, a lot of fish is imported from Russia. Cold water fish is imported from Russia. Uh, and so fish and chips, uh, you know, pubs in um, in England can't afford, you know, the price of food at this point. 
on top of energy and all of these other things. So they're going from seven days a week to operating two to three days a week because they just don't have customers coming in the door, right? So I, I think, you know, we're we're in the middle of a, of, of a recession, I think is pretty obvious, but I think it's going to get worse here over the winter time because you're going to add on top of that an energy crisis and you're going to add on top of it, you know, um, you know, potentially more pain from uh, Russia and the Ukraine, you know, uh, fight. So, mm-hmm. so I think this is going to be a, it's, I think at this point, it's lo- not looking like it's going to resolve itself here in the next three to six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just, I'll just add one more, one more thing, which is that um, I think this is going to happen. This is, this is sort of um, the first shots that, that is fired. UK just about six hours ago announced that um, they're going to open up, they're going to open up their treasury uh, to support their population in dealing with this rising cost of fuel. Um, so the policy announcement is expected to freeze the price of energy either at its current level or at 2,500 pounds. Um, uh, yeah, so I think the, the whole price, yeah, okay. So $180 billion or pounds worth of support, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is the first of many countries to come. I think this is going to happen. And what does it mean for this inflationary pressure that we are experiencing right now? I think it's just going to add to the, to the fire. So I, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen with inflation. And at the same time, we're raising interest, interest rates and, I don't know. It's a convoluted mess. Yep. <clears throat> okay, let's uh, let's jump to the next topic: Beth Bath and Beyond. Um, it made it made the headlines because the CFO uh, uh, unfortunately committed suicide. Uh, I think the intent is still TBD. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Beth Bath and Beyond, just high level? Yeah, I mean, so they're. Uh... A uh, retail store uh, company that operates um, the main flagship is the Bed Bath and Beyond, like Home Goods. Um, but they also own Bye Bye Baby, which is a uh, you know is one of the main um, you know infant and you know baby supplier uh, uh, stores. Um, so between those two companies, um, and they have some, I think they have a couple of other brands. Um, they're, uh, you know, they've been operating for at least to the mid nineties, um, and have been very profitable as a company. Um, and it, I think their revenue peaked in the last, uh, few years at over, uh, $12 billion. Yeah. 2018 was their highest, um, uh, year, uh, and was a highly profitable company, but everybody was kind of pretend, uh, pretending the doom of, you know, retail brick and mortar. Uh, because of Amazon and because of other things, so they've they've been trading at a discounted price, um, uh, and had been operating off of this. You know, we've always talked about these l- older, you know, established businesses that generated a ton of cash flow, doing a share buyback. Um, you know, does it make sense? You know, relative to the price of their their stock, um, but then what kind of hit is in the last two years? You know, the pandemic shuts down. Uh, um, a lot of these 
uh, retail stores and um, you know, they are, they're getting hit pretty hard um, with these rising inventory levels. And this is hitting almost everybody in retail, you know, target um, Walmart, all of them have been struggling with um, rising inventories. Um, and I think, you know, and then they became kind of a meme stock, you know, people were kind of piling in on them because, you know, they're really cheap relative to the, uh, and I think you could argue they are, right? They've, they've been free cash flow positive for every year except this this last fiscal year. Um, so I, I think there's a lot going on here and there's, um, but there's also a lot of risk associated with the, you know, the falling knife. Like we're going into a recession. This is a company that's um, struggling, you know, with um, heavy, you know, excess inventory. Um, and I think their CFO, um, you know, I, I think he was just overwhelmed with how much what was going on with the company, as well as, um, you know, I think he was being accused of pumping and dumping the stock uh, as well. Um, and so I, I don't think he had a, um, you know, I, I think that all of that came together and, you know, co caused his um, suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, I'd like to focus on the the buyback program. And yeah. let me let me do a lot of I'm doing a lot of screen share today. Um, okay, so this is this is the Bath Bath and Beyond. Um, okay, what I want to focus on is okay. So what you're talking about here is the top line revenue from. $12 billion of revenue, that was its peak in 2018, and then it started to dwindle. And now in 2022, the top line is 7.8. Um, and then you, you mentioned free cash flow. So free cash flow from, here we go, free cash flow. It's been positive ever since, uh, uh, since, yeah, ever since, and then just, just last year. Negative uh, 300. And then if you look at the inventory, um, inventory has been has been piling up. I guess in, in the good days, it didn't really matter too much, but um, this could be a problematic. Uh, this could be problematic here. And then their cash reserve uh, is down to about $500 million. What I'd like to point out here is the buyback program. What caught my eyes when I first looked at this company was that they were issuing, or they were uh, announcing big buyback programs. Right now, mind you, the 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 cap is a is around a, a billion dollars. This is a little bit outdated, but it's about a billion dollars now. And if you look at how much they spent on buyback, I mean, they've been spending, you know. Just this year, 500 million. Last year, 380 million, and so on and so on. I mean, in 2015, 2016, they spent two billion, a billion, another billion in 2014, almost a billion in 2013. A lot of buyback programs, and as a result of that, they were able to reduce their share their share count. So shares outstanding at its peak was around 300, and then it started to dwindle, and now we're at about 100 million. Hundred million shares outstanding, but if you if you think about that, they were spending about a billion, right? They're deploying, a, you know, nearly a billion dollars in, in, in stock buyback programs. Mm -hmm. Right now, their market cap is a billion dollars. 
obviously with the circumstances, with the, the recent kind of drop in share prices, this has gone down. But I guess my question right now is, was the capital deployed in the most effective way when the buyback programs were happening? I think that's called into question. Yeah, and certainly in hindsight, it it looks um, it looks bad, right? Like that they they were spending money. This was a very similar story with uh, uh, GNC. Um, you know, was spending a multi billion dollars on a share buyback program at their peak. You know, their all time high, uh, and I think Bed Bath and Beyond was in the same kind of category, right? Spending money on their their share buyback at an all time high uh, when you know, now they're struggling to even, you know, stay afloat. Uh, and they've taken on a bunch of debt that um, I think their debt load now is now up to $3 billion. Um, so it, it's a, you know, and, and what do they have to show for it? Right. They've shown, you know, not a whole lot really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would love to, I'd love to look into this, but did this debt go, was it a productive debt? Meaning that was it used to, I don't know, renovate new stores and things like that? Or was it used to, I don't know, launch a big buyback program? I'm not sure. We have to look into it. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the question is when you're at a, co a company like this and you have excess cash, right? We've talked about how AutoZone and, uh, NVR and you know the Southwest Airlines pre-pandemic were doing a great job buying back shares because their um, their PE was so low that it actually made a ton of sense you know to do that um, you know could could have could have management have actually seen the writing on the wall and said hey you know um, we're in cash preservation mode or should we be paying a dividend instead you know uh, of doing the buyback um, because that's going to be more accretive to our you know, our investors, um, right. I, I, it's a, it's a difficult call to make. Um, but you know, as, as investors, we don't have to get all of these calls, right. Right. We, what we have to do as investors is, um, look at the opportunity cost and then determine if this is the best place for our capital. Right. Um, and to me met bed, bath and beyond was one of those companies where I just couldn't see what was going to happen. Um, you know, I, I, I remember thinking about it in 2017, thinking how cheap it was relative to, um, you know, their, uh, their cash flow and things like that. But had I bought it in, bought in at that time, you know, I, I may be holding the bag right now because, you know, the, the uh, revenue collapsed and especially during the pandemic, everything kind of fell apart for them. Right. So I, I think that's a big part of your, your discussion or, or your decision making is, in, in a company like this, are they going to actually maintain their, their revenue for the last, you know, that they've, they've built up over the last, you know, 25 years? Um, cause if they're not, then no amount of capital, um, return to shareholders is really going to matter because ultimately the business is falling apart from within, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it's one of those, um, the way that I, th the way that I thought about approaching this company is, it's more of like a cigar, butt kind of, strategy than you know buying good businesses at a fair value it, it seemed to me that i mean maybe i'm, I'm the wrong maybe this go, this sort of goes to another point which is the circle of competence i'm not really 
I don't really know this industry very well. I'm not a shopper at Bed Bath & Beyond. I just, uh, so I don't know. The way that I was approaching it is, okay, wow, they, they're doing a massive buyback program. Maybe there's something there. Um, I didn't pull the trigger on them. Um, there were other companies that were doing bigger buyback programs that had a more sound. It seemed to me that that that, that a more sound, more durable business than Bed Bath & Beyond. And it sort of goes back to, the very first questions that we ask when we look at companies is what is their, what is their moat? And is, is it really durable? Because if the, if a lot of buyback programs should be happening when companies are sort of in a mature stage, they throw a lot of cash, just like, you know, kind of like this, but um, you have to, you have to, I think, I think a, this is a good case study of that's, that's obviously number one. You have you you want companies that are doing buyback programs that are you know more mature businesses that are throwing out excess cash. That's number one. And number two is just fundamental. Fundamentally, it is a mature business, but is like where like can, can they protect the moat that they have? Um, and if they can't, then you know I think that that's that's a discussion. But this yeah I, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Just one comment I'd add to that is, you know, in the case of those companies that we talked about, AutoZone, Southwest Airlines, um, NVR, they were still growing their top line revenue. So they, they still were maintaining their moat, right? Which is why it's such a critical part of the evaluation process is even in the cigar butt case, right? You have to either be paying almost nothing for the entire business um, or if you if you think it's an ongoing concern, you have to at least be able to value what the moat will be over the next few years, right? To see if you know while your investment thesis plays out, um, because if the if the top line revenue continues to decline, um, you know all bets are off in terms of the, you know the value that you applied to it, right? But if they're able to maintain their revenue or grow at it, you know at it at the inflationary rate, then yeah, it's a different story altogether. Yeah. This is another, I guess, because you mentioned inflation, I think this is another interesting conversation or kind of angle at looking at this. What is the moat for Bath & Beyond when we are going into kind of recessionary cycle and inflationary pressure, you know, inflationary cycle right now? Right. How durable is it? Um, I'm just looking at this re revenue top line. Yep. They did 7 billion. It's 10 years ago they did 7 billion. Right. So like like the efforts between 2011 to 2021, these years, this 10 last 10 years, um, I mean, it feels like it's um, it's very shaky. Yeah, one thing to to one way to normalize that comparison is to also look at revenue per store, um, because right now the challenge that you have with looking at it is you don't know if they've started shutting stores down to maintain profitability. Uh, or uh, if they sold off some businesses, because this is as reported on their uh, income statement. But um, it's still, it, you know, that's why context matters, why the story matters uh, when you're looking at any of these businesses. So, um, you know, but yeah, if just all other things being equal, if their, their revenue has gone almost 40% decline from their peak uh, and pretty fast too, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, it took them 20 plus years to get to this point to get to the peak. And then now it's falling off a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. It's a big concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So um, there you have it, guys. That is our take on Bath, Bath, and Beyond. Let me shut this down. Um, so that that sort of covers it for us for Bath, Bath, and Beyond. I know a lot of uh, a lot of you requested for us to look at Nvidia. Uh, we will do that uh, maybe next time. I'm not sure, but um, we I can I can promise that we are we are going to look at it. Um, it's interesting right now, NVIDIA, with the new legislation about the licensing, their top line is getting a $400 million per quarter haircut because they can't export to China now. And it's not just NVIDIA, it's the entire you know, semiconductor market. So um, that'll, be, that'll be interesting as we look at NVIDIA. So stay tuned for that. Um, any other thoughts or comments, Ari? Yeah, I, I think we're going to have, um, you know, as we've been got, getting back to the weekly streams, um, you know, we've also um, had a lot of people come back to our Slack channel um, and have people uh, commenting all the time. So if you're interested in joining us there, you can meet, uh, you know, answer, send us questions, have, um, you know, suggest other companies you want us to cover during the live stream. You can email us at info at valueinvestor.org and we'll, we'll add you to the Slack channel. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd re also really appreciate it if you would like, comment and subscribe on this so that um, we're going to uh, stream every Thursday morning um, at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Uh, and so uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd hit the notification bell so you can join us live and send us comments like Jacob and Jim have have been sending us for the last uh, uh you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, one comment that was uh, just brought up was check out uh, Vail, uh, the, the company Vail from Brazil. Um, so we'll put that on the list um, to cover maybe possibly next week because um, I think that'll be an interesting story along with NVIDIA. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys next week.